Igawau acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Morning, afternoon, and good soup. My name is Lil Silky, and welcome back to the Ego Hour podcast. Now, a lot has happened since the last installment of Ego Hour, not least of which is the revival of Cinema Go. When we last hit the digital airwaves, streaming services looked as though they were delivering the final blows to the blockbuster films, and we would be doomed to an existence of watching big screen movies on TVs in perpetuity. Denis Villeneuve, champion of the people, was in a fist fight with Warner Media to save his all-time passion project, June, from releasing straight to HBO Max, whilst Pixar filmmakers weren't so lucky, as both Soul and Luca were fed to the Disney Plus content mulcher. Tragically, Turning Red has since met the same fate. Things seemed bleak as streaming services were undoubtedly shaping what content we were seeing, when we were seeing it, and vitally on what screen we were seeing. Yet, suddenly, a glimmer of hope. It was the end of 2021, and against health advice, society decided to wrap up COVID and get on with things. The Australian government did its best impression of a parent who walks into your room during the school holidays to find that you've played four straight hours of Halo 3 online, and told everyone to get outdoors ASAP. Sure, it was traumatic, and the dangers hadn't exactly gone away per se, but it was time to splash cash and numb the memories of lockdown at a local pub or something. And the people listened. Eager to burn all of the job keeper they'd put in their bank accounts and sit inside again, people rushed to the theatres where, from December 2, they were greeted by the epic, guttural sounds of a Hans Zimmer orchestrated choir. That's right, June was finally here, and it was in IMAX, baby! Anecdotally speaking, June was a moment, an exciting but terrifying chance to see whether people other than myself were going to return to the movies. The results were... well, even now I'm not sure if they were good. The film grossed 401.8 million worldwide, which, compared to Endgame, a film that apparently made 2.797 billion, doesn't seem so impressive. Yet, in terms of cultural currency, the signs were promising, and it felt like everyone was talking about June. Even the people who hated it were super eager to tell you so. On the wind of this, we quickly got an announcement that June 2 was coming, with even more celebrity megastars this time, including Harry Styles' mate Florence Pugh. And then, a certain arachnid humanoid returned to the screens, with an explosion. On December 16 in Australia, Spider-Man No Way Home swung into theatres. <laughs> Fresh pun, I know. And with an extended Christmas period run, managed to gross $1.9 billion worldwide. Even Paul Thomas Anderson had a crack and released the stylish and divisive licorice pizza. Heading into 2022, cinemas were alive. Maybe not yet pumping like they were pre-COVID, but as a passionate movie fan, I felt hopeful that, at the very least, blockbuster films were back. And so, skip a little bit and here we are, August 2022. It may be a cold winter here and a concerningly hot summer in the Northern Hemisphere, but it certainly feels like the movies are back. We've had janky shit like Uncharted, and we've had highly anticipated successes like The Batman propel themselves to become cultural moments, whilst the film you certainly don't need me to pitch as well, Everything Everywhere All at Once has achieved a cult indie status that I don't remember since maybe Moonlight. However, whilst many films have ridden the wave of cinema going, one movie has stood above them all. One movie, like very few of the past 10 years, has managed to capture the thoughts, 
minds, excitement, and wallets of the world. One film backed by one studio with everything to lose, and one movie star who refuses to give back the keys, has become the water cooler conversation topic that has turned back the clock to a time when action heroes didn't need capes or one-liner quips. Movies are back in a big way, and a key proponent of their centrality in pop culture is this very film. The studio? Paramount. The star? One weathered but willing Tom Cruise. It's time you heard my review of Top Gun Maverick. Maybe one of the GOAT sequels, Top Gun 2 successfully recontextualizes the first and delivers a rather thoughtful rumination on getting older thanks to a secret ingredient, humility. Top Gun's audience is getting older. Obsessed with a movie released in the 80s and finally receiving a sequel in 2022, Quick Maths would have you believe the original, peak cultural relevancy audience of the first are now 50 to 60 years old. This is the gen that grew up with Reaganism and Dorsias, and, as such, were led to believe that being a straight shooting in both the behavioural and sexual orientation senses, order-ignoring but somehow still pro-military, and motorbike-riding dude is peak existence. Now, as the cultural-economic cycle goes, this gen has since diminished in artistic centrality, but instead has ascended to peak financial virility, and find themselves in the enviable position where all theatrical movies and products are now catered towards them. As such, many of the superhero movies we receive today feature an aging protagonist, mirroring the individual buying the popcorn and ticket. Bar Tom Holland, who of Marvel's finest is in their 20s? Can I interest you in a seasoned Affleck Batman? How about an older but razor-tongued Tony Stark? We have a decade plus of aging movie stars and movie heroes occupying the role of protagonists, as opposed to the upward-punching hotshots of the 80s, the same ones that made Cruise millions. However, just because these figures are getting older does not mean anybody actually told them. A cousin of the Rogan Apatow man-child, we now have 40-year-old-plus male action heroes having it both ways as the new-to-the-job heroes with the I'm-just-a-regular-dude personas, never critiqued for their conventional, not-particularly-progressive identities. These fellas sacrifice nothing to become the best. They've got life experience, they've got nostalgic fondness of 80s music, and they've got kids. Some would argue they have too much. Some would say their film's emotional and thematic depths are sacrificed as they have things pretty easy as straight white guys who put family first with no moralistic challenges along the way. Some would say they threaten the very fabric of filmmaking's evolution. Don't know who would say that though. But in this very hypothetical discourse is where Top Gun 2 comes in, thanks to a very special untapped resource, Old Guy Energy. Top Gun Maverick is a fantastic metatextual depiction of that same old guy occupying the young guy space, but this time, for the first time in fact, he knows he's old. Cruise plays 4D chess with you here, because although he may present like he's Tom Cruise, he's actually a little bit older, and finally his character seems to know it. The Maverick of Top Gun 2 is the guy from your work who's 30 years older than you, but makes the same salary and never failed upwards, like the folks who run the company, a character abundant in regular life, but non-existent on screen. By extension, Maverick appears as an apologetic response to the film's original toxic qualities, as... Suddenly, we see a guy who follows orders, apologizes to women, and, well, apologizing to women is a pretty big step up from the first. TG2 is a love letter to being 40 years out of your 20s, but unlike other nostalgia trips, it has a self-awareness that times have changed, often for the better, and contends that aging doesn't have to be a dogfight with the young. Through Maverick, the filmmakers argue that transitioning to post-prime isn't net positive or net negative, and that the right guy, the right Maverick, can in fact age gracefully, 
Although the film forgot to include the scene where he gets reconstructive surgery on his reaction speed so that he's got faster twitch muscles than a six-year-old in red cordial. Onto the technical side, the film is a level up in every way from the first. Suddenly, sky battles are cinematic thanks to crystal clear editing linking the cockpit shots to the plane's wides and, well, just better plane shots in general. Plane cartwheels are a big win here. The filmmakers effectively recognize GPS nav screens as a dialect audiences are familiar with and incorporate them as a pragmatic way of convening plane terminology and flight path jargon. Finally, the soundtrack licensing team got a raise and managed to incorporate not only a fourth song, but also a fifth one. TG2 is well shot, well edited, and its pacing and engagement greatly benefits. Narratively, the story is similarly more engaging both plot-wise and emotionally, thanks to the aforementioned humility. Plot-wise, the film feels driven and built in thanks to a good old-fashioned times-ticking device that makes the climax feel high-stakes and inevitable. It also helps that the on-screen Navy is willing to admit that it faces an actual challenge. Emotionally, Miles Teller in general makes audiences feel strong emotions, whether it's affection, indifference, disappointment, you name it. So his inclusion is sound. Mav's journey towards accepting the kids and cooperating is rewarding, and feels just like the compliment from your parents that you never received. Of course, the film, whilst largely entertaining and a good time, must be critiqued for its climactic resolution. Twice, the film goes against its central theme of learning when it's your time to step aside, and whilst both decisions lead to a cathartic and exciting mingling of characters, such suspension of disbelief is a little disappointing. Also, the filmmaker's determination to not offend any viewing audience is pretty funny, and this film's events definitely begin international warfare, so I'm looking forward to TG3, World War 3. Anyway, Top Gun Maverick is an all-time sequel, successfully able to recontextualize the first, improve upon it in every way, and entertain whilst doing so. Cruise delivers one of his great performances, and the supporting cast is similarly engaging, perfectly aware of their roles in teaching Mav what it takes to become a responsible older man. Top Gun Maverick, 3.5 stars. So there you have it, a 975 word review. What do you think? Love my takes? Hate them? Follow me on Letterboxd at Lil Silky or follow us on the at Ego Hour podcast Instagram account and shower me with love or score me with backlash to the backlash. Until next time, this has been another classic. Another classic or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's in, tell us who's done. Another answer.